are starting a new series today called Supernatural. We're going to let our kids go with Pastor Mary. But we're um, starting a new series called Supernatural. It's going to be a series on spiritual warfare. And um, how many of you feel like you get beat up on sometimes in your life? Raise your hand. You get beat up on. Sometimes you get wore out, you get beat up, you get tore down, and sometimes you don't even know where it's coming from. I want you to touch your neighbor, say, you're in a fight. You are in a fight. Touch your neighbor again, say, the struggle is real. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. I almost did not, um, I almost didn't do this series. And the reason why is because my whole life, there's this background track of um, certain parts of, of the Christian world that say, hey, don't talk about spiritual warfare, because if you do, you'll get attacked. It reminds me of, how many of you guys ever heard the, um, the, the old wives' tale, um, if you're ever attacked by a bear, play dead? Who's ever heard that before, right? Um, I heard a, a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he, he was talking about um, when he was a teenager reading a, a pamphlet that said, you know, if you're attacked by a bear, play dead. And he said, I wonder who came up with that one? I don't know, the bears, right? Can you imagine like a couple of bears standing around? Okay, if you're attacked by a bear, play dead. Cover yourself with honey and lay on a giant white plate. Whatever you do, don't run away from us. I mean, the bears, you know? And that's kind of what I think that our enemy does with spiritual warfare. He's kind of like, don't talk about spiritual warfare. Don't talk about spiritual warfare because if you talk about spiritual warfare, you're going to get attacked. Can I tell you a secret? From the beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity, Satan has been attacking and he hasn't let up. And what he loves to do is when you're down, he loves to attack more. He's not like the, you know, you ever watch those, um, I remember when I was a teenager, there was this, uh, this movie came out with Jean-Claude Van Damme called Bloodsport. You guys ever see Bloodsport? Who watched Bloodsport? Okay. All right, good. Some of you are not Christians either. I wasn't, you know, and no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I remember watching Bloodsport and, and the enemy, like he's fighting, 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 right? And you got that guy at the end and he's like, right, no mercy, Right. And that's what the enemy does. He waits till we're down. He waits till we've been beat, till we almost feel like we can't take it anymore. And then he goes, no mercy, right? He just, he doesn't care. He's, he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't think that just because you don't know about spiritual warfare, he should kind of take it easy on you, right? He wants to go after you. I was reading about the bear attack thing. If you're ever attacked by a bear, most of the time it's because they're hungry and want to eat you. Not because they were like bored and they're like, yeah, let's go over here and attack somebody. It'd be fun to kind of mix it up a little bit, see what he's got. No, they're trying to eat you. So the enemy is trying to eat you. Scripture says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to that language. He doesn't just want to hurt you. He just doesn't want to make you stub your toe. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. That idea of destroy puts off this image of like after you've been knocked down, he wants to just grind you into the ground. He wants the worst for you. There are so many people that are in a spiritual war, and they don't know it, and they've kind of resigned themselves to, look, I don't want to learn about spiritual warfare. I don't want to do battle in the heavenlies. I don't, want to, I don't want to worry about all that stuff. I just want to be not as miserable. That's my goal. I don't want to be as miserable. Like, what a terrible goal. Like, if that's your goal, you need to wake up to the spiritual reality that God has designed you for something great. He didn't design you to be a little less miserable than you were yesterday. He designed you to be victorious, and you need to live as though he's designed you to be victorious. Come on, church. I wish somebody would get excited because this is good. This is good. Ignoring the fact that you're in a spiritual battle will not make it go away. So how do you know you're in a spiritual battle? Because you're bleeding. 
right? You know you're in a spiritual battle because you're struggling in your marriage, right? You know you're in a spiritual battle because you're sick. You know you're in a spiritual battle because you're angry. You know you're in a spiritual battle because you don't have any peace. That's how you know you're in a spiritual battle. And let me tell you something. Even though the battle is spiritual, it manifests itself in the physical, okay? So everything that you see, everything that you experience in the physical world is influenced or pushed forward by something in the spiritual world. This is so important for you to understand. The essence of this war is is that it is spiritual and not physical. And to the degree you see this battle as spiritual will determine your ability to be victorious. This is important. I want you to hear that again. The, your ability to see this battle as spiritual, not physical, will determine your ability to be successful. If you continue to fight this thing like it is physical, you are going to fall on your face every time. If you treat people like they are your enemy, guess what? You're going to fail every time. Because there are forces at work in the unseen world that are doing battle and they are using people to influence. They're using people to hurt you. That doesn't, that doesn't give the people that do wrong like an escape clause to say, hey, I don't have any responsibility for what I do. They're still doing evil and there's still accountability. There's still all those things, but they're not primarily your target. They're not your target at all. The target is in the unseen world. When I, was, um, when I was in third grade, I decided there was, a, there was a guy in my third grade class, and he was kind of making a move on my girl. And when you're third grade, man, you don't let that kind of stuff slide because you got a reputation to protect, right? And I remember, I remember sitting in third grade and, and this kid, and I'm not going to give his name because he might find me on Facebook and come back to me. And I don't want all of that nonsense again. But, but this kid, I remember, I told him, I said, after class, I want to meet you. And we're going to go at it. And he said, all right, meet me at Mad Dog Park at 3.30. And I realized after I walked away from him, I didn't know where Mad Dog Park was, one, and I didn't have any transportation to get there. So I had to go back to him and be like, look, I don't want to meet you at Mad Dog Park. Let's just do it in the backside of the playground after school. And so I remember going back there and this kid, I was like, man, I got this. And I get out there, you know, my little pose or whatever. And I go for this one haymaker and I'm going to like give it to him right up. And before I got that one haymaker, he had punched me in my face about 247 times. I don't know. I've never seen fists move that fast in my life, but it was just like, tick, tick, it was like speed bag work on my face. It was just, tick, 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 tick. and I, I remember standing like, and I'm thinking, man. And what was cool about that particular fight, though, was that my brother happened to be there, and my brother just walks over and goes, whoop, stands between me and the kid and goes, boom. And that kid goes, boom. All it took was my big brother just stepping in the way and going, Shkoom. and it was over. It was over. My brother didn't even throw a punch. He just said, I'm going to put some distance here. And, and the cool thing is, in the spiritual world, guys, we, look, if we have trouble winning physical struggles, how much more difficult is it to win a spiritual struggle? Especially when you think that you're the one that has the power to be victorious. You don't have the power unless you are in Christ, okay? Can you imagine like thinking that you could go and take on Mike Tyson? You step in the ring with Mike Tyson, how long is it gonna take you before you're on the mat? Like six seconds, right? But if you, if you last that long, but if you roll up into the ring in a Sherman tank, What's Mike Tyson going to do? That's the picture of what it looks like to fight in Christ. You're still just as weak as you've always been. But in Christ, 
you are able to get the victory, okay? So I need you guys to understand this. This is so important. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna look at verse 10 through 12 for starts. And and this is one of those things, again, I've never preached on spiritual warfare in my life. And, um, and so this is kind of new territory for me. But as I'm studying it, man, God is just strengthening my spirit. And I can't wait to share it with you because I believe it's going to transform the way that you live your life. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10, it says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who are you supposed to be strong in? Whose power is it? His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. How much of God's armor you put on? So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Do you hear this? What is your most potent What is your most potent position of strength? Stand. Not advance, not retreat, stand. So that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. I get this image um, of a lighthouse out in the middle of the water and the storms. Have you guys ever seen those pictures? Like they're the inspiration pictures and it's one of us that like dream. And then it'll have like a picture of somebody dreaming. And then like courage and it's got like a... And then, and then there's, there's one that's like strength and it's got the picture of the lighthouse and the waves are all like up and it's like halfway up the lighthouse, but the lighthouse is just standing. It's unaffected because of where its foundation is planted. See, it, it's cool about a lighthouse because a lighthouse's foundation is unseen. Your foundation is unseen, but your strength is rooted in that unseen foundation. So it's so important. Verse 12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, you're not fighting against people. How many of you have ever felt like maybe even up to this moment, moment that people are against you and you got to fight with people? Raise your hand if, they, if you've ever felt that way. Yeah. Right. I even hear guys sometimes they're like, man, I'm not going to let that guy disrespect me. I'm going to go punch him in his eye. Right? You're not fight you're fighting the wrong enemy. You're fighting the wrong enemy. You will never get victory attacking flesh and blood enemies because that's not the root of the spiritual battle. The root of the spiritual battle is in the unseen world and the enemy uses physical people as a way to absorb the fight that should be going to him. So important. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. So if you think I'm making it up, Paul talks about it. And Paul talks about it very frankly, very unapologetically. He's like, hey, church, wake up. Guess what? There's a real battle going on and you can't see it. But there's authorities, there's rulers, there's, there's um, more powerful demons, less powerful demons, and they are warring against humanity trying to take them down. And so there's this very real thing in which the enemy is trying his very best to get you distracted so that he can take you out. I need a volunteer real quick because I want to I wanna do something. Eric, come up here for a minute. You got to do two things. Eric was the only person raised his hand. Come on, church. Come here, Eric. <clears throat> All right, hold this. Hold this for me. I got a deck of cards. And um, is this just a regular deck of cards? Yeah. All right. Nothing weird. No. Nothing messed up, right? Oh, there's two jokers. I'm going to take the jokers out. Is it all right if I take the jokers out? Okay. Two jokers. There's always a couple jokers in every deck in there. All right, so here we go. I'm going to shuffle the I'm going to shuffle the cards. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want you to pick any card out of here that you want to. All right. 
Now, now I want you, I'm going to turn around. You show it to everybody. Does everybody remember? You know what it is? Okay, some of you had bad eyesight. That's okay. Ask your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. Okay, I'm going to turn back around, so hide it from me. All right. All right, so don't, ever, don't tell me what it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shuffle the deck now, and you tell me when to stop, okay? Bro, you got to do it like when I'm in the middle of the day. You can't, you can't wait till it's over. Stop. All right, put it right there. All right, so here we go. This is so important because what we're going to do, and I'm going to cut the deck, and we're gonna, what we're going to do here, I'm going to shuffle it one more time, okay? Because I want you to make sure this, it's no joke artichoke, okay? All right, pick a number between 1 and 10. Seven, all right. So here's what you're going to do. I'm gonna, in just a second, I'm going to hand you the deck. You're going to count down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You're going to pick up that last card, and it will be your card. All right, you ready? All right. Here's the deck. Count down seven cards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pick up that card. Show it to everybody. What? All right, so, so here we go. Now, I just want you to know, you can sit down. I just want you to know that I don't have magical powers. I, what I did when I did that trick is I distracted all of you, and you thought you were seeing something that was not real. And this is exactly what the enemy does. He, his gift is sleight of hand. His gift is deception. His gift is to get you to look at something else instead of what really is making the difference. And so we live deceived. We live deceived. And we think that what we see is reality, but what we, what we don't realize is that the unseen is what's really real. All right. <clears throat> I lost my place. Remember when I, was, uh, when I was young, probably about Daniel's age, my brother used to mess with me all the time. My brother's four years older than me. And he used to mess with me all the time. And, and, and I remember he would, he would always like poke at me and punch at me and slap at my head and stuff like that. How many of you had an older sibling that did that? Raise your hand. Okay. God bless you guys. God has a special reward for you in heaven because you had to endure an older sibling. And one of the things that my brother would always do is he would just, my brother is hilarious and super goofy. And so he would do stuff like he'd go, watch his hand, watch his hand, watch his hand. And then he'd like kick me or something like that. And it's funny because I never really equated my brother with the devil, but really it's fitting because that's what the enemy does, isn't it? He says, watch this hand, watch this hand. And then he goes upside your head with the other hand, right? But we're living distracted, paying attention to things that the enemy wants us to pay attention to instead of those things that God wants us to pay attention to, right? This is so critical. So by hope this morning, is to get you to adjust your worldview. I want you to adjust your worldview. There's two primary worldviews. One is the naturalistic, or some may call it the scientific worldview. And that is we, we believe in what we can taste, touch, see, feel, experiment on. That's all it is. And it's created this kind of realm of atheists and agnostics and whatever is truth to you is fine. It's kind of resulted in that, right? And most Christians would say they don't abide by that worldview. And I would tell you that you may not believe that worldview, but sometimes you live like you believe that worldview. Can I tell you something? What you say does not determine your belief system. What you do determines your belief system. Your tongue does not determine your belief system. Your feet determine your belief system, okay? And so what the enemy likes to do is just get Christians to focus on stuff that's not really important. And we start to live our lives as though, as though we don't really believe. And here's the, here's the thing. Most people think that doubt is the opposite of faith, but it's not. 
Disobedience is the opposite of faith. See, because the entire thing about faith is if we have faith in God, we obey him, right? What, it, what, did, what was Abraham credited for righteousness? It says that he, he followed God even though he didn't know where he was going and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God said in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, the point that's being made here is, hey, I'm going to put righteousness in your account because your obedience reflects your belief. You see that? So this is so important. And people, people are like, man, I don't understand why I'm getting beat up. I don't understand why it's so hard all the time. I don't understand. Because you stepped outside of God's covering. If you're walking in disobedience, plan on getting pegged by the enemy all the time because you've removed yourself from the shelter of God's covering. You cannot operate that way. You will find yourself on the short end of the stick every time. And it's not about trying harder. It's not about working harder. It's, not, it's about pursuing Jesus more. It's about relationship with him. I talked about it last week. It's about that relationship with Jesus that transforms everything. I'm not pursuing holiness. I'm not pursuing obedience. I'm pursuing Jesus. And those things just naturally follow. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I got to try harder this morning. I'm going to really, really try hard. I'm going to try, 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 try. I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, today I want to know you. I sit down with the word for a couple of hours before anybody else in my family is awake. And I write in my Bible, I journal, I walk the floors and pray. I intercede for you. I ask God to move. I spend time in the presence of Jesus. As I go through the day, man, I listen to the word. I listen to audiobooks that encourage my spirit. I put on worship. I listen to sermons. I engage people on the streets and talk about guess who? Jesus. Not because I'm forced to, but because I love him so much that I can't help talk about him. When you fall in love with Jesus, everything else falls in line. You don't have to worry about trying to obey harder. You don't have to worry about trying to follow the rules better. You don't have to worry about trying to be more holy. You don't have to worry about trying to fight harder. You just stay in Jesus and he works everything else out. It's like Ronald Reagan's trickle-down economics in the spirit world. It just, you just stay in Jesus, and all of the fruit just falls out of the tree. It's just the way it works. Stay connected. And it's not some holier than thou. Man, I hope I never portray the image to you guys that I'm, <clears throat> I'm a rule following, holier than thou, separate from you. I sin, I struggle, I fall, just like everybody else. But I'm telling you one thing that is consistent in my life is I love Jesus more than anything else, period. End of discussion. And I want that to show. I want that to be reflected. I've been following Jesus literally since I can remember. I don't ever remember walking down an aisle at church on a Sunday morning and giving my life to Jesus. I just always remember saying, I love him. Why wouldn't I follow him? It's just the way it worked for me. I know that's not some of your story, but I'll tell you this. Every year, I talk to people and they're, you know, they're like, man, I just don't feel God like I used to. I just don't feel as connected as I used to. Even, even Jesus, when he spoke to the churches in his letters in Revelation, he says, the problem I have with you is that you lost your first love. It's easy to do because we get so distracted just doing church and being religious that we, we find ourselves distant from God. And that's not what we want because coming to church does not give you a relationship with Jesus. It's only, do you know that if I went to church to build relationship with my wife, it would not be a very deep relationship, right? If I just showed up on Sunday and said, hey, babe, let's sit next to each other. I'm gonna put my arm around you. I love you. This is great. Bill, you took a mean hint. I like that. But you don't, you don't, you don't do, like if that was my only time engaging in relationship with my wife, there would be no fruit in our marriage. 
But the fruit of that relationship is borne out. When I, I'm not going to rat out my kids, but <clears throat> or I'll rat out the littlest one. So, so Abigail, but all of my kids feel this way. But, I, so, but Abigail, Mary and I, we make it a habit of kissing publicly. I'm not afraid to kiss my wife anywhere, anytime. I will kiss her here. I will kiss her in the foyer. Matter of fact, I went up to her and kissed her in the foyer this morning. Why? Because I'm crazy about her. I love that girl so much. And if you know me, if you've spent time with me, if you've spent time with Mary and me, the one thing you'll see is that we're in love. We're 23 years married and still more in love now than we were the day that we met each other. Because we work on our relationship. We spend time getting to know each other. We serve each other. We love each other. We want to do. I want to see her succeed more than I want to see me succeed. Her success is my success. When she's doing well, I'm doing well. She lifts up the bar for our entire family. So I want to lift her up because when I do, she helps bring our entire family higher. And you know what? The cool thing is she feels the same way about me. Every day she works to help me achieve my goals, dreams, and desires. She invests in me. That's what relationship looks like. And I'm telling you, you can have that in your marriage relationship and you can have that in your relationship with Jesus. But it takes time. It takes time. I'm going to say it one more time. It takes time. Touch your neighbor. Say it takes time. But can I tell you a secret, gang? You don't have time not to pray. You don't have time not to be in the word. If you think, man, I'm just too busy today. No, 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 no. You got your priorities wrong. If you need to skip lunch in order to have time with Jesus, fasting should be on your agenda for the day. I'm telling you, we have to treat this relationship as though it is life itself because out of that, is where spiritual victory is won. It is in Christ. I want you to change your worldview, church. I want you to understand that there is a realm outside of what you can see. It is the spirit realm. And you know, most people in our society believe in spiritual things. You walk down Eastern Avenue and you see the little psychic um, stores, right? And I'm thinking, how can they afford to make the payments on those places? Because some people go in there looking for some spiritual help and they get deceived by demons. How do I know people are looking for something outside themselves? Because I see people post on Facebook all the time what their horoscope is, what their zodiac sign is. That is believing in spiritual. It's just believing in the wrong spirit. And if it does not come from the spirit of God, you should not pursue it, period. How do I know what to pursue? If it comes from God, pursue it. If it doesn't, don't. That's it. This is too simple, right? Does this seem overly simple? Then why are we losing the war so much? The reason is because it's simple, but it's not easy. And we usually like easy over simple, right? But what what I learned a long time ago is that the easy thing and the right thing are seldom the same thing. I'll say that again. The easy thing and the right thing are seldom the same thing. So you've got to be willing to dig in. But here's the cool thing. Once you get ahead of steam in your relationship with God, it's hard to stop it because just like there is physical law of inertia, there is a spiritual law of inertia. And once you get going, once you get ahead of steam, it's harder to stop you. It's harder to stop it. And so I encourage you to dig in. So I don't know what happened after I turned 40, but after I turned 40, Something happened to me where I have an urgent need to wake up in the middle of the night 
and go into the bathroom. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. It's just this compulsion inside me. Um, and and what, what happens sometimes, I wake up, and my room is dark. I don't use a nightlight. And I wake up in the middle of the night. I get up. My eyes are blurry. And how many of you are like this? You don't want to get too alert in the middle of the night when you're trying to go to the bathroom. Right, because if you get up and you try, you try to keep yourself a little zombified while you're walking to the bathroom, right? Because you know that if you don't do that, you're going to go back into bed. You're going to lay down. Your mind's going to go. You know what? This is what we got to do tomorrow. I can't wait to get tomorrow. I got to do this. And I got to do this. And I got to do this. And you're like, no, I just want to go to sleep, right? How many of you have gone that? Yes. Okay. Good. I'm not alone. So here we go. Sometimes, though, in the darkness, as I'm walking to the bathroom, my toe will make contact with an immovable object that I do not see, yet creates an enormous amount of pain. How many of you know that you don't have to see something for it to hurt you? Come on, sir. Come on, church. Is this truth? You don't have to see it for it to hurt you. Now here, I'm going to real quick, I want to hit these few areas where the battle manifests itself. The first place the battle manifests itself is in your personal life. Some of you, your personal life is a train wreck. And you look at yourself and you think, how did I end up here? And let me, let me just give you one passage of scripture. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 26. Ephesians 4.26. I think this is the right one. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. This is, I would imagine that this is true of pretty well any sin. Whenever we sin, we give foothold to the devil, right? Because we're stepping outside of our obedience to God and responding in love the way that God designed us to, and we're responding out of the flesh. How many of you know that anger is primarily rooted in selfishness? I don't want to get anybody upset. Don't get angry. That was supposed to be like, you could laugh at that. It's, it's okay. don't. So, so anger is rooted in selfishness, right? When do I get most angry? When somebody messes something up for me. Right? Like when somebody crosses me, when somebody says something about me, when somebody does something that I don't like, I get angry. That's the majority of the time. We know that that's not always the cause of anger. There's also righteous indignation, right? Jesus got angry, and so much so that he fashioned a whip and cleared the temple. So clearly that level of anger is okay. But why was he angry? He was angry at something that offended the heart of of God, not something that made him feel uneasy or disappointed or discouraged or upset, right? It was all about how people were treating things with regard to the father, not how things affected him personally. So when we sin, we give the enemy a foothold. And if our job as spiritual warriors is to stand, when you give the enemy a foothold, what you're doing is you're giving him the right placement to be able to push back on you, right? So when you, when you live your life in obedience, it increases your faith. It gives you more secure footing so that when the enemy's trying to push on you, he's just slipping and sliding. He can't get any traction because you're walking in obedience. But the second you start to step into disobedience, you're giving the enemy a foothold so that he can push on you. That's why relationship with Jesus is so important. Because it's in that relationship that you find yourself becoming more holy. You find yourself becoming more righteous. You find yourself becoming more obedient. Not because you're forced to, but because it's the natural response of relationship. This battle is unseen. This battle is unseen. You've got to know that what we do physically affects what happens spiritually. It also affects your family life. Satan is wanting to disrupt 
the family. He's wanting to destroy the family. If you look around, just look around Baltimore. Shoot, look around the churches in Baltimore. And you will see the enemy working overtime to disrupt and destroy family. Right? Why? Because God designed from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we see how God designed family. He designed man and woman to come together, to have physical children as representation of spiritual children, to pour in the strength of the family is the foundation of strong culture, strong society. And so what does the enemy want to do? He wants to erode the foundation, doesn't he? He wants to go after the foundation. And God has put men in homes as spiritual leaders and authority covering for a family. And in so doing, where do we see attack coming from in our culture? The enemy is attacking men over and over and over, trying to take away your manhood, trying to say that manhood is by necessity violent and, and that it's, it is disproportionate and that men just keep women down. No, that's not the biblical mindset for manhood at all. The biblical mindset for man is to provide an umbrella of safety for his family to flourish. And so if the enemy can, can sabotage men, he can sabotage families. If he can sabotage families, he can sabotage the culture. If he can sabotage the culture, he can sabotage the church. You see how this works? Speaking of church, the other place that the enemy wants to sabotage is he wants to sabotage the church. And he works so well doing it. We have missed the point with church. This is not a place... <coughs> that you come and attend. I'll just uh, be totally honest with you. One of my pet peeve phrases is, I'm going to get my worship on. <clears throat> really irks me. Because when we say that, the implication is that worship's about me. Right? I'm going to go get my worship on. We don't get our worship on. We honor the king of heaven. We ascribe worth to his name. It's not about me. It's not about me getting anything on. If you want to go to a concert and get your groove on, that's a different thing altogether, but you don't get your worship on. And so what the enemy has done is he's proposed this myth that church is a place you go. Did you know that the word church isn't even really found in the Bible? The word that's used is actually just simply translated as gathering. Church is actually a German root word, kirch. And it was when the Bible was translated by Gutenberg, uh, or when Gutenberg's press was making the Bible prolific, the German translation of the Bible took that word um, kirch as gathering. But it began to be, all of the buildings that were put were Churches gathered where people gathered to worship God. They started calling it church. And then now in our modern culture, we call the building the church and have forgotten that the people are the church. And so the church body has become disposable. You have people come and go from churches all the time. I don't like what happened. I don't like what he said. I don't believe in this. I don't like that. And, and so we dispose of the body of Christ. It's not the way God designed it. He designed it as a family. We're together. We're in this. Good, bad, ugly. We're in this thing together. We love each other viciously. I don't get to choose my family. I don't get to look at, at my brother and go, I don't like your beard. I'm out. Right? I don't get to do that. And my brother, look, I love my brother, but he's straight weird. Okay? And if he was here, I would tell him to his face, dude, you're straight weird. One time I went home for Thanksgiving. My brother walks in the door and, and he grabs me by my ears and he pulls my face in his, and kiss me dead in the mouth with his big old grizzly I'm like what in the world are you doing you weirdo like it's so so I don't get to go you know what you're no longer part of the family you're out I'm going to choose a different family because you're a weirdo I'm going to choose a different family because I don't like the way that you did that right we don't get to do that it's the same way with the body of Christ we are all grafted into the vine and we are all 
Buckle up, church. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm a little weird. Some of you need to be a little more honest with yourself. You are a little weird. And if you're afraid to say you're a little weird, you're probably a lot weird. I'm just telling you. And in the church, the enemy has gone after doctrine, too. We have people. um, There's a book that came out a few years ago called Love Wins by Rob Bell. And in this book, he puts this idea forth that there's no such thing as hell and that everybody goes to heaven and that the only hell there is is the hell that you live in your daily life because life is such a struggle. And and that's an awesome, awesome concept, except that it's a load of crap. It has no basis in Scripture at all. If anybody doubts it, just read Revelation 20. It sets the record straight pretty quick. There is a hell and people go there. And by saying that a loving God would not send anybody to hell, you're saying that he's completely unloving because you're saying he's not just. If there is a murderer and he goes before a judge and a judge says, hey, you know what? I just love you so much. I'm going to let you go. How many of you think that is the loving thing to do? It is not loving to anyone else who's following the law, is it? It's not loving to anyone else who is established in righteousness. It is absolutely unloving and is absolutely unfair to society. God's justice is in question if there is no hell. You cannot do it. So the scripture calls that doctrine of demons. There is a doctrine of demons. Satan himself used the word of God when he tempted Jesus, didn't he? He absolutely used the word of God. Just because somebody's quoting scripture doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. And you need to be like the Bereans. You need to pull that book out. You need to go through it for yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to check that out. And you need to read up. You need to get in prayer, with the word, and hear what God is speaking. I'm going to do one more part of this thing, the the cultural life, and I'm just going to let you know that our culture is pulling back from Jesus. Our culture is hostile to God. And the enemy is having a blast in the American culture, in the Western culture in general. In the 21st century, he's having a great time because there are so many deceived people acting like the deception is the truth and Satan loves it because he is the father of lies and the truth is not in him. So here's what I'm going to end with this last little bit here. Where is the battle? Ephesians 6.12, let's read it again. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Where's the battle? Come on, I just read it to you. In the heavenly places, or the heavenly realm, your Bible might say. And so... Paul talks about how he knows a guy, and he talks about this, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, but he talks about the fact that he knows a guy that was caught up, and he says, I don't know whether in spirit or in his physical body, but he was caught up to the third heaven. And I've heard different people try to um, break that passage of Scripture down, and in the process of doing it, they're like, well, there's a first heaven and a second heaven and a third heaven, and in the third heaven, there's realms of heaven, and there's different levels of heaven and layers of heaven and all that stuff. That's not the way it is. So that word that's used there is actually just realm. There's different realms. There's different worlds. The word heaven is used um, to reflect in the first century the idea that there are three basic realms, right? There is the atmospheric heaven, right? In the atmosphere of the earth, we say, hey, I look up into the heavens, right? And so there's that kind of atmospheric heaven. And then there's what's called the celestial heavens, right? And that would be like outer space. So you look up at the sky and you see the stars in the sky. It's interesting too, because in scripture, angels and demons are both referred to as stars, Matter of fact, um, the scripture says, I looked and I saw heaven fall, the morning star, right? 
we saw, saw Satan fall like a star, right? It's this, this idea that over and over in scripture, you read angels and demons referred to as stars. The idea is so to remind us that when we look up into the heavens and we see all of those stars, the, the scope of the battle is revealed to us because you look up and you go, holy mackerel, there's a lot of stars up there, right? And so the idea is when you look up and you see the heavens and you go, wow, Look at all those stars. It's a reminder. Man, there is a spiritual war going on that you can't be in to understand the scope of this thing. It is huge. It is vast. I love going down to southern Illinois where my um, grandmother lived and where my aunt and uncle live. And you get out there in the woods. There's no light pollution. There's nothing. You get out in the middle of a field out there and you look up and you cannot believe how many stars you see. How many of you have ever been out in the country and you look up? And you're like, what? They don't have those in the city, right? It's just, it's amazing. And the idea is that when we look up, we look up and we go, wow, this thing is big. This thing is big. And then there's what Paul would describe as the third heaven or the third realm. And that is, so we have the atmospheric realm, we have the celestial realm, and then we have the spirit realm, okay? And that's the realm that you can't see. I can't see the spiritual realm, but that's where the war is taking place. And we're going to read some stuff over the next few weeks that's going to blow your mind when you read about Daniel and how, how nations um, go to war in the heavenly realms. And all of this, it's just like, you're like, what? I didn't, even, I didn't even read that before. That's crazy. And so, so there is a, a physical reality that we live in, but then there is a spiritual reality that we don't see. Now, here's the cool thing. You and I are not really citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. And I want, I want to illustrate this for you. Um, let's see. Turn to uh, Ephesians 1, 19. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Where is Jesus? He's in the heavenly realms, right? And then we read Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, it says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So in that passage of Scripture, we see that God the Father is in the heavenly realms and our blessings are in the heavenly realms. Now let's read on. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 6, it says, For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So where, does, where do we spiritually reside? In the heavenly realms. So God the Father is in his heavenly realms. Jesus is in his heavenly realms. Our blessings are in the heavenly realms. We're in the heavenly realms. Let's keep reading. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It said God, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So the angels are in the heavenly realms. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We just read it. Verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. So God the Father is in the heavenly realms. Jesus is in the heavenly realms. Our blessings are in the heavenly realms. We are in the heavenly realms. Angels are in the heavenly realms. And demons are in the heavenly realms. And so what Satan does so intentionally is he tries to move our thinking to citizens of earth. We, we live our lives and we'll draw political lines, right? We draw political lines. Well, you're a Democrat and, and you're a Republican and, and I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a go after you because you don't believe like I believe. 
Well, those are arguments of citizens of earth, not citizens of heaven. And so not that politics aren't significant, not that politics don't influence what we do, but what's a greater influence over what we do is what's happening in a world that we don't see. And we need to behave as though we're citizens of heaven. And we need to take authority through diplomatic immunity. How many of you know what diplomatic immunity is? Diplomatic immunity works when you have um, a, a diplomat from another nation that comes to serve in another country. So if you have a diplomat that comes to the United States, every place that diplomat walks, the soil under his feet is the sovereign territory of the country where he holds his citizenship. Church, this is the truth that I want you to get a hold of. See, because you are a citizen of heaven and you live in a world that is unseen. So when you walk this earth, every footstep you take, every place you stand is the sovereign territory of the kingdom of heaven and the rules and laws of the enemy do not apply to you. Y'all should be a little more excited about that. Man, I've got so much more that I want to go into, but I'm not. I'm going to save it for the next few weeks. But I want, you to, I want you to walk away with something because this series is going to go on for a while, but you're sitting here and you're saying, Pastor, I'm going to battle today. What am I going to do today? I need something for today. Well, let me give you a little something that will help you between now and then. I'm actually going to open my Bible one more time to Ephesians chapter 6, and I know we've read it several times, but you know what? I don't feel like you can ever read the word too many times. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, it says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand, so that you will be able to what? So that you will be able to what? So that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Can I tell you a secret? I was telling somebody this earlier today. When you are in a war, the only people that the government takes care of is the soldiers. The government does not take care of civilians in a war. But if you are a soldier, they'll make sure you got all the bullets you need, you got all the armor you need, you got all the food you need, all the provision you need. You'll be taken care of top to bottom because they want to make sure that you are ready to fight. But if you're on the sidelines, you do not have the same right. You do not have the same provision. So you have to stand and fight. Some of you need to get your life ready and right with Jesus. You need to say, Jesus, I've never made this decision official. I want to make you the leader of my life. I want to be on the line with you. I want to follow you. I want my life to be rooted in you. If you want your life to be rooted in Christ and you want to know Jesus, would you do me a favor? This is kind of one of those things like um, a lot of pastors, they'll say, I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your head. No one looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I, I, frankly, I don't care if you're embarrassed. Because this is a war, and soldiers need to be courageous. So if today you say, man, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus with everything in me, would you just stand right where you are? Come on. You want to be a soldier? You're tired of being on the sideline, and you're tired of getting nailed down, and you want to fight. I want you to stand. God, today, each person that is standing, Lord, I pray that you would work in them, move in them. I pray that they would feel the strength of your might. I pray that they would be empowered with the Spirit of God in a way that shakes everything for them. Lord, I pray that this war that they've already been fighting, they would now be able to do it in a different way because they realize that the flesh and blood enemies that they've been fighting are not even the real enemies and that they'll shift their targeting to the heavenly realms, and that they will pray in the spirit, they will pray with understanding, they will go after the enemy in the spiritual realm with God as their covering, Lord, that they would do something powerful for the kingdom of God.
And Lord, I pray that as they step into this newfound lifestyle of pursuit, God, that it would change everything for them, everything. And God, I pray for your strength, your peace, your grace, and most of all, God, your covering so that they can experience the life that you've designed them for. God, I pray today as we leave out of here, our eyes would be open to the battle that we're already fighting and that we would redirect our battle strategy to fight in the unseen instead of the seen. God, give us your strength for what you've called us to. God, help us to complete the assignment that you've given us. And help us, Lord, in everything that we do to stand firm. In Jesus' name we pray. The whole church said... Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.